We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lurecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me, as always, is my fellow host, Ariel. No. Oh, and Daniel. Hi there. <laughs> we only get Daniel this episode, I guess. Yep. Boo. No, I think we had no. Wasn't that somebody else? Hey, I'm new to the Lurecast. My name is No. <laughs> Capital N, lowercase O. <clears throat> or zero. I don't know how they spell it. It's zero. <laughs> So it's in zero? In zero. It sounds cooler that way. No zero. <sighs> no. Okay. Well, anyway, we're back and we're uh, second season, right? Yes. First season went well. Uh, I'd say exceptionally well. And now we're here to progress into the movies of Resident Evil. And we started off with none other than Degeneration. Yep. So, to kick us off here, I believe, is Daniel. With a summary. Boom! I thought you said boo at first. <laughs> Rude. So, Resident Evil Degeneration, otherwise known as Biohazard Degeneration mm. in Japan. Oh, wow. What a surprise. Is the first full-length CGI movie. Is it technically, though? First full length. First full length. That's what I said. <laughs> Listen. Listen. Listen, Linda. <laughs> it is also based on the Resident Evil games, as it is canon to the games. Mm-hmm. So that's plus. It takes place seven years from the Raccoon City incident, as we see in the film. Mm-hmm. And it also had a teaser that was included with the Resident Evil Extinction DVD. I do remember that teaser. I liked Extinction. I did too. <laughs> there was explosions. <laughs> so it made its premiere in Japan on October 11th, 2008 at a Tokyo game show and was released nationwide one week later on October 18th before it came to DVD and Blu-ray in America. And it also has a sequel known as Resident Evil Damnation. That we're going to talk about soon. <laughs> yes. That is what I have on that movie. So, uh, not a lot of, not a lot going on here. They didn't really do a whole lot of marketing or anything. I know they went hand in hand with Nokia to build a mobile phone game version of this. But... That's about it for the marketing. I mean, they don't need to. Resident Evil speaks for itself. <laughs> I will say they ramped up the marketing later on in 
the movies and things like that. But yeah, this was a this was kind of just a like you said, it was just kind of a DVD release marketing kind of trailer thing, and that was it. That's fine. It did its job. <laughs> it progressed the story. It did. So speaking of story, Ariel, what do we got? Well, let's talk plot. Mm. So this is set one year after the events of RE4. Okay. Which could explain a little bit of Leon's cockiness, but yeah. uh, we'll get into that. So Claire is now a member of TerraSafe. Okay. And what TerraSafe does is handles search and rescue of chemical and bioterrorist attacks. Allegedly. <laughs> Let me talk the plot, okay? Keep your mouth shut. (laughs) So, the start of this, Claire arrives at the Harvardville airport to meet with a friend and her niece, Ronnie. So, while waiting, she just strikes up a random conversation with the Silver Fox Englishman. And (laughs) over the news, before he decides he's waited too long forever, he was waiting on and leaves. So he gets up and goes. So meanwhile, a passenger jet is approaching the airport for landing. And as one of the attendants checks on the passenger, she notices one man looks very unwell, goes up and asks him, how you doing? Like, you doing okay? Do you need something? And you see that this man is clearly in the final stages of the T-virus infection. And he requests that she reach a WP Corporation contact forum. So then it skips back to the terminal. Mm-hmm. And oh, good old Senator Ron Davis <laughs> is attempting to circumvent the myriad of human rights demonstrators surrounding the airport. He was very mad. He's very angry. And through a temper tantrum like a child. So, and these protesters were upset with his involvement with and support of the WP Corporation and their alleged research into the T virus. So that's why the protesters were all pissy. So, Ronnie recognizes the senator and points to him as he walks by because he lost his temper tantrum. Like, he didn't win so he had to go out the front door (laughs) and so anyways Ronnie recognizes him and it draws the attention of the reporter and she attempts to interview him when they're interrupted by a protester wearing a zombie mask and Davis's bodyguards and security quickly apprehend and unmask the demonstrator who's taken under arrest When this happens, Claire tries to help, but is almost taken in as well. And then an actual zombie appears. They try to unmask it. Well, the the security guard tries to unmask it and, you know, it eats him, bites him. (laughs) Doesn't really eat him, but it bites him. So now all of a sudden we have a zombie swarm at the Turnable terminal anyways now we have a zombie swarm so as claire rescues davis the jet suddenly crashes into the terminal sending debris and shrapnel everywhere and 
the plane's door bangs open and all of the occupants are zombies. So Claire, Davis, Ronnie, and an unnamed woman take refuge at the terminal's VIP lounge. The Marines have locked down the airport and established a perimeter between it and the majority of the survivors, who are quarantined and being evacuated for treatment. So, two special response team members, Angela Miller and Greg Glenn, discuss the situation in their tent when good old Leon enters and introduces himself as the expert government agent that will be leading their task force. So he orders Angela and Greg to accompany him and only those two as he didn't want uh, any more people turning and Mm -hmm. all that. So they go in via the roof. So Angela and Greg are, you know, a little upset. Leon coming in, stealing the show. And they kind of disregard his instructions for shooting the zombies in the head. And for whatever reason that they just don't believe that these things are zombies and that they can talk to them and reason with them. (laughs) Which almost turned out to be fatal. So Claire, upon hearing a survivor nearby, sets off to explore, armed with only a red and white umbrella. Kind of irony there. And... (laughs) Yeah, Claire runs into Leon and Angela and Greg and then... She takes them back to the survivors. They come up with this plan to go through the lobby to get them out. So they're taking the group and as they run through, Greg is bitten by a zombie while he's trying to carry good old Senator boy. And he decides to stay and fight. I know, it was really sad. That was actually really sad. (laughs) It's a really sad part. So, the group makes a stand on top of the crash jet, and, of course, Senator leaves them, makes a dash for the exit, which ends up knocking Ronnie off. And... Claire jumps down, you know, to save her, and that cues the cool little slow-mo Leon throwing a gun at Claire scene. (laughs) And yeah, so that happened. Can I just say, I love how these CGI movies have such iconic gunfights or gun throws that are in slow-mo. I know. So, yeah. Then, you know, they end up getting out. Mm -hmm. And Angela looks back and sees the undead Greg and sees, you know, the military going in and shooting. It's kind of sad. Another sad moment. So um, now that they're out, Claire ends up recognizing the trucks arriving on scene and demands to know why they're there. And... The senator and the Englishman she was talking to revealed the Englishman she was talking to, who happens to be Frederick Downing, reveal that the corporation is actually working on a vaccine for the virus. And all the Marines employed on this mission are vaccinated against it, which infuriates Angela. 
because then she says Greg could have been saved. Claire gets distraught after she realizes her organization has been bullying a company with noble intentions this whole time. Or, you know, something. So Claire kind of gets down in the dumps because really it's her fault that there weren't more vaccines. Mm-hmm. So, um, so suddenly the trucks explode. The group quickly dis- deducts that this may be a bioterrorist attack. And Claire and Frederick go to the WP Corporation headquarters to check the raw vaccine data. So Claire, having recognized Curtis Miller at the airport, then suggests that it could be him. And he might be the one responsible for all of the recent bioterrorism attacks. And Frederick gives Claire a tour of the facility before confiding in her that Senator Davis requested that he not show her what he's about to, that the company also has samples of the G-virus. Which causes Claire to flash back to her dealings with Birkin. She insists on telling Leon but Frederick begs her not to for his sake before noticing that the server has mysteriously gone down and he excuses himself. So in the meantime, Angela and Leon go to Curtis's house who happens to be Angela's older brother. Convenient. Yeah. (laughs) It's a movie, you know? So, and they go to find it that's on fire. The house is on fire. And she reveals to Leon that Curtis lost his family in the Raccoon City incident. That um, because of this, he, you know, joined the protesters and, you know, was trying to make right of what had happened to him and everybody else. So while she was talking to him, Claire got a hold of Leon. And so she informed him of the possession of the G-Virus. And while on the phone, she gets a call from inside the building, which happened to be Frederick, telling her that there's a time bomb in level four. And the line goes dead. And Claire recognizes Curtis fleeing with a briefcase before the bomb goes off. So Leon and Angela arrive at the building. And he goes upstairs to Claire while Angela monitors the ground level. And Leon directs Claire, who happened to get hurt in the process by a glass shard to her leg, to get to the elevator to escape. Which it then leads her to the central control room. So Angela finds Curtis in the remains of the air garden and discovers that he infected himself with the G-Virus because he wanted basically to show the world what they were doing. And he claims that he's done what he has to, what he's done because the government covered up some of the events in Raccoon City, which kept, you know, which killed his family. So... The Marines suddenly storm the room with guns and Curtis begins to mutate and despite an extended barrage of weapons and 
everything else. He begins to slaughter them easily, like they were nothing. And when Curtis's attention falls on Angela, Leon enters and uses a grenade launcher to bring a large chunk of the scaffolding down on top of him, seemingly crushing him. So the building security announces that the entire room will be sterilized via incineration. And the pair, plus the surviving Marines, scramble to the emergency elevator. And Leon and Angela stay behind so they could take the first lift. But Curtis mutates into an even more monstrous thing and chases the elevator up and ripping it from the shaft and hurling it and the Marines to their death. So Leon realizes that Curtis now sees Angela as a breeding tool due to them being brothers and sisters and having the same DNA, which is kind of gross. And so the two dive into a nearby pool of water to escape the incineration. Leon then shoots the water tank open, dumping them into the center of the quartet of underground labs. They realize that Curtis has also survived the blast, and he quickly begins attacking them. So, despite Claire's efforts, though, the building detects Curtis initiates a biohazard lockdown, which involves a sequence of releasing each of the labs into a free fall into the cavernous basement below. Curtis manages to separate Leon and Angela and finally recognizes Angela through his now degenerated brain when he sees the picture. And she had dropped a picture of them and his family. And he tells her to escape, that he doesn't want to do this to her, doesn't want to hurt her. But she ends up staying. So... Leon grabs her from behind while standing on a scaffold as the once again de-evolved Curtis and the last lab plummet into the abyss. But Curtis manages to latch onto Angela's ankle with his tail and she starts begging Leon to let her go. And of course he has to use Curtis's line of if you don't try to save one life, you'll never save any. Which I love how he reused the line that she used on him that Curtis used on her. I know. <laughs> so anyways, he shoots Curtis in the head. He lets go and falls. So Leon, Angela, and Claire exit the building. And Claire accuses the just arrived good old Senator Penguin. I'm sorry, he looks like Penguin from <laughs> Batman. And of being behind all of this though he denies it and actually means it. So, uh, Leon also agrees that he's not responsible. And she, then Claire gets a revelation that it was indeed Frederick the whole time. Good old Silver Fox Frederick. And then we cut to Frederick, who's on a road overlooking the city. And he's on the phone with uh, Miguel Grande. 
revealing that thanks to him, Grande is now the only man in possession of both the T-virus, the T-vaccine, and data on the G-virus, though he warns the general about the G-virus. And just then, Carr pulls up and he, Fred Frederick believes it to be his contact, but it's not. It's Claire and Leon. So he pulls a gun on them and uh, Angela sneaks up behind him with a gun. So he ends up getting arrested. So the next day, Leon and Claire meet with the with uh, Angela and Leon reveals that Frederick confessed to everything, including the bioterrorist attacks and the air- airport incident, which was designed as a type of sales pitch for the virus to General Grande. And he reveals that Frederick was an umbrella researcher who stole the samples of both viruses and escaped immediately prior to the Raccoon City incident before erasing his history and creating a new identity. And once there, he was able to shop out the virus to a list of potential customers while researching the vaccine. And then Leon and Claire walk away from Angela after she's kind of like, ooh, let's go diving again, Leon. And he's like, yeah. So <laughs> Leon and Claire walk away and then Leon offers Claire a ride in his helicopter, but she's got her limousine full of Ronnie and the aunt. So off they go. All I could think about during that scene was I wanted to be like, Claire, that's not a limousine. That's a station wagon. That's literally all I wanted to say during that time. I'm like slow blinking at you right now. <laughs> so then we have one last little thing that happens in this movie. So it's in Senator Davis's office. The news is going on about how he resigned from office because of the allegations and everything else. But he's sitting in his office chair with a newspaper declaring Tricell's bid to purchase uh, the WP Corporation over his face. Very ominous. Suddenly, his hand slumps down and it's cold and dead. Very dead hand. You can tell because it's like white. It's dead. And his computer continues to purge all information regarding the viruses and pharmaceutical companies. And people in biohazard uniforms with the Tricell logo on it continue to explore the basement levels of the WP, uh, WP Corporation compound and finds a severed tip of Curtis's mutant tail and begins sealing it in a container. And end of the movie. <laughs> so, in a nutshell, Claire worked for the bad guy the whole time and didn't know it. Then found out she was working for the bad guy, felt bad about it, and then tried to make it right. End of movie. <laughs> but she worked for TerraSave. They're not mm-hmm. technically bad. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I don't know. I agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> um, before we go to mid-break, I do want to point out two things here. And we'll go more in-depth with stuff when we get to the next episode and we discuss this. But 
I did like how they incorporated two new companies into the lineup because several times during the games we hear other companies are after the virus other companies are after the virus we never really get a whole lot of names we get a few here and there but not a whole lot I like the fact that we got two for the price of one in this movie yeah we got Will Pharma and mm-hmm. uh, Tricell yeah so with all that being said this makes it the perfect time to go to our mid break <laughs> Well, here we are in the middle of the show. Ariel. It's all we... full of middle in here. Oh, my God. What do we do now? Say some really bad lines. <laughs> we get to the end. Or uh, I like both of those ideas. Or we could take the time to thank our patrons. I mean, that sounds a little better. Mm-hmm. So let's give a big thank you to our VIP patrons. Cerberus 91, Chaotic Kia, Chris Slate, Christopher Gurley, Donnie Shanks, and William Jackson. We got a lot of VIP patrons now. And we have some all-access patrons here as well. We have Edward Parks and Remington Cloutier. Yeah, you guys are awesome too. Oh my gosh. We've exploded with patrons and it's great. It's fantastic. You know who's also great and fantastic? Who's that? Our wonderful listeners. Uh, yes. (laughs) Without you listeners, we wouldn't have a show. This is all true. (laughs) I mean, really, it is. Like, I say this all the time, but I do appreciate the listeners. appreciate the patrons. I appreciate all of you. Y'all are fucking awesome. I can say fucking because this isn't a PG (laughs) podcast. So y'all are fucking awesome. So I I do want to take a a minute here and say these aren't scripted reactions. We are generally appreciative of our patrons and our listeners and everyone who leaves comments and reviews. We genuinely do appreciate it. And, you know, the patrons, you know, donating money in addition to listening, that's great and all. But if you can only listen and share it with friends and stuff, that's that's still just as good. Helps us grow, helps us outreach to more you know, people to listen, and it keeps us fun. Honestly, you know, our Discord's blowing up with people now. I know, it's awesome. (laughs) I don't think we script anything out. We don't. I mean, we say, like, we repeat things. We say our lines, like, that we just randomly said and just kept going at it. But (laughs) no, none of it was scripted. None of things scripted. No, it's... We genuinely do appreciate everybody. And it's, it's awesome to know we have such support from the community. It's great. That was a super heartfelt middle of the show. Thank you. So let's get to some merch and stuff. And stuff. Well, I'm actually going to throw everything off for a bit. And I'm going to go first. Yeah, that's right, Daniel. I'm taking the lead on this one. (laughs) I'm taking the lead because I'm really excited about this. So, uh, gamesradar.com, and there is a little article that came out, and it is all about the new limited edition Resident Evil 3 Nemesis statue that none other than Numskull is doing. This is part of their statue lineup. So, last one we had was, I believe, was the Tyrant. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that because I still haven't gotten my Tyrant. Yeah, um, I would recommend if you're going to pre-order from anybody, pre-order from Numskull. Because we 
pre-ordered from a certain company and it was a very bad reaction. So yeah, that ended up with me not getting my tyrant statue. Yeah. But anyway, so, so far we have the liquor from numbskull. We have the tyrant statue from numbskull and now we have the nemesis. So I'm not gonna read this entire article. Um, but I am going to point out some things here. It is described as a highly detailed figurine that has hand painted features and it is fully supported by Capcom itself. So this means it's going to have the, you know, Capcom steal of approval on it. In addition to this, it is going to be a 10.9 inch statue and it is going to be another one in a lineup of these things that they're going to make. So there's going to be more in the future. The going price right now is $110 or a hundred pounds. And it depends. Obviously the pricing is going to depend on where you order it from. Um, I will say if you order from numbskull, what we learned was that you are going to pay a little bit more in shipping because they are going to be shipping it from Europe. So be prepared for that. But you'll at least get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with that being said, you can pre-order now. Pre-orders are up and ready to go now on Numskull, and it will not be out until November. So that is what I have for this mid-break. And of course, the link will be in the show notes where you can check out this article and pre-order you can pre-order statue. So with that being said, I'm out of the way, Danny. What do you got? So when Ariel said merch and, I thought she was going to say merch and dice. Oh my gosh. I should have. Dang it. I'm going to script that for next episode. So close. (laughs) So anyways, with merchandise, if you are into necklaces, the Boutique Bazaar on Etsy has Resident Evil T-Virus Antidote. Well, it has... Three T or three virus vials mm-hmm. as necklaces. Ooh. Red, green, and blue. The red is unidentified, which I hope is a G virus. The blue is listed as T virus, and the green is the antivirus. Ooh. The vaccine. You can get one for nineteen dollars, or you can get the set of three for thirty-two, or two of them for twenty-five. Or you can send all three of them to us times three for 96. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Oh my gosh. But anyways, <laughs> yes, that's on Etsy by the Boutique Bazaar and it doesn't list shipping, but that probably does depend on your location. It looks like it would arrive by August 17th to 20th if you ordered today, which will be a couple days later. So the 19th, the 22nd. <laughs> because <laughs> that's not confusing at all oh my gosh that whole thing was just confusing <laughs> I'm going to throw every number out there every number <sighs> so with that being said Ariel what do you have for us time for the end of the episode no just kidding I read an article much like I always do and this one comes from Screen Rant and the title is how Resident Evil Village DLC could be setting up RE9 now it's kind of a common sense you would think that it would be setting up RE9 Uh but with the leaks that came out or the supposed leaks that came out I just kind of wanted to cover this because let's get back into the winter the winter's trilogy instead of some random 
thing. So, anyways. This is saying, like, while Shadows of Rose will build upon Resident Evil Village, it will apparently deliver a much different experience. So the upcoming expansion is set to take place many years after Village, of course, with Rose now as 16-year-old. And... It will bring players back to the main game's European setting, though a twisted version of the location based on Rose's dark memories. So, um, it's saying that Rose has also been established to possess supernatural powers. Now, this is more on the DLC. Let me get into 9 now. How they're saying that based on the changes of it, it's likely that RE9 will bring back the young heroine as a playable hero and and that the events of Shadows of Rose may leave Rose as a normal human having her abilities taken away so which would serve as a more typical protagonist in RE9 having no powers Mm -hmm. so the ninth entry could follow up Village's ending by taking Rose on an international adventure, paying homage to RE6, just as Village did from 4. And it's still, the story is still a mystery. But if Rose is meant to follow her father as the franchise's next protagonist, that Shadows of Rose could be setting up the scenario by removing her supernatural powers. And this would then follow the loose ends left by Village with the government conspiracies and international intrigue. So Mm -hmm. I thought this article was kind of fascinating because it's another another viewpoint of what RE9 could be. Yeah. Especially with the DLC coming out soon. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you two. We probably have an answer. (laughs) So what do you think about Capcom? It's all right. I like the company. (laughs) No. What do you think about Capcom potentially doing nine? uh, Much like RE6, where we had multiple characters and multiple storylines. I mean, it could be a possibility. We have been told that they're going to try to bring back old characters and you know, give some closure points for some of these old characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of along for the ride at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I Okay, we all know I wasn't a huge fan of Six. Mm-hmm. But if it involved closures of characters, well, then okay, I'd be along to play it to see where main characters end up. Yeah. But I would rather it be us playing Rose. Yeah. What about you, Daniel? If the story works for bringing in multiple characters, because if you bring in too many characters, then you get too convoluted with spread out stories. You're going to have to close a lot of loose ends with so many people depending on how many people they bring in. Because if you have your six characters like six did, you know, you didn't get everybody's story. 
but you got some people's story. Mm-hmm. But because uh, they're gonna try and close those ends, you're gonna have to do a lot of story. Yeah. I feel like Chris would definitely be one of the characters that they close the story on just because he was in seven and eight. Yeah, definitely Chris is gonna I'm gonna have to agree with you there. Chris is definitely gonna be one of the characters they would have to bring in. If they were gonna do it this way, they'd have to bring it in. And honestly, I would hope Jill would come along as well. I mean, we need more Jill. She disappeared after five, so. Somebody finally ate the Jill sandwich. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'd be fine with Rebecca even a support. She doesn't have to be a main character in it. <laughs> I personally feel if they took the fan criticism of RE6 into consideration and did this new game, if they were going to take it and do this play style of multiple character stories and they made it as an actual storyline based versus a first person shooter base, I feel like it would be a warm welcome to the series. Oh, yeah. Or maybe just do DLC. <laughs> Either way, we have no idea what direction they're going to take with nine. And I would, I would say that we all agree. We're pretty excited. Yeah. So with that being said, I think it's time for us to go to the end of the episode. Well, here we are at the end of the episode. I know I don't want to be here either, but at some point the show must end. But before we do that, Daniel, what do we got for some BOWs in this? (laughs) So we're a very short (laughs) supply. (laughs) That's why I laughed. So we are in short supply of BOWs. We basically only have two, and even then, it's kind of vague. We have your basic run-of-the-mill zombies that are based off the video game zombies. Oh, no. So they're T-virus-infected individuals that suffer from the cannibal's disease and want to eat everything. (laughs) That's flesh, I should say, not everything. And then we also have our G-virus mutant that Curtis was. Um, Not much is given about him other than... Uh, description wise he has a huge right claw and then his left arm is very elongated in his second form he has a large eyeball kind of on his shoulder and his face when he transforms a second time gets more alien like more bestial like and then he has two very tall legs and a tail in his second form yeah the tail (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know that that got weirder when he went from first form didn't have a tail, second form. Let me add a tail to this. Yeah, this this transformation really strayed away from the G virus. <laughs> well, they needed it for the whole leg grab. Yeah. Yeah, but you have arms for that, like. I mean, he does have a really long left arm. Like it is super long. That's his grabbing arm. <laughs> That's my grabbing arm. It's my strong hand. <laughs> but yes. That is what I have on him, and apparently his weakness is falling down into a large pit and exploding. <laughs> not fire. Not guns. Not shoot the eyeball. Not heavy objects. But he did take a knife to the eye. He did. Yeah, but I don't know. I, That's I why feel he's... like... If I... Even the Marines. Like, if I... If I was a person with a gun and I saw eye. this gigantic mutant 
with a giant eyeball, my first thing would be shoot the eyeball. I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe video games brought me to that. Hey, but... the, the knife to the eye is why he's no longer an adventurer. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's all I have on video games. Wow. <laughs> Daniel and his Skyrim streams now. <laughs> Oh, gosh. All right. Well, we're moving on from Daniel and his ridiculous Skyrim mentions. Uh, Ariel, what do we got for characters in this one? Oh, my goodness. We got a laundry list. <laughs> so here's the list. I have Leon, mm-hmm. Claire, Angela Miller, Curtis Miller, Frederick Downing, Ronnie Chala, Senator Ron Davis, Ingrid Hannigan, which I like Ingrid. You got the ant, you got Greg Glenn, you got um, Will Pharma Corporation CEO, and the president. So, there's our list. And I'm only going to talk about four of them. Okay. Because Leon and Claire, I don't need to talk. I just be redundant at this point. Yeah. So, I'm going to talk about Angela first. So we have Angela Miller, who was a police officer who serviced with the Harvardville Police Department's special response team, which me and Daniel were just talking about how it's a ripoff from STARS instead of STARS. It's CERT. But, so... They literally just took one letter out and reorganized the other ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they took the... Okay. (laughs) Took the other second as that. All right. So, uh, little is known of Angela's early life. Just that she was close to her brother, Curtis. And following the Raccoon City destruction incident, they both lived in Harvardville, where... She got a job at the police department and he became a doctor for Will Pharma. So, um, following an incident where Angela plunged into a river to save a child but got in trouble herself, she was compelled to be a better officer and was able to get into the SRT due to that. So, that's basically why she decided to go into there. So, that's about... um, all I'm going to discuss on her, the rest is about during the movie. Mm-hmm. So I just want to discuss a little bit about Curtis, her older brother. He was a researcher for Will Pharma in 2005. He was fired and arrested after his aggressive disapproval of their T-virus vaccination program. And because of the loss of his family in the Raccoon City incident, he then made it a lifelong goal to force the United States to admit responsibility. So he eventually joined TerraSave to protest against the Will Pharma, but TerraSave disassociated themselves due to the violent threats Curtis made to Will Pharma. So he was then used by a scapegoat, used as a scapegoat to hide the real dealers with the bioterrorists themselves, aka Frederick. Mm-hmm. So then that's when he just, you know, 
went over the edge and took the G-virus, injected himself because he wanted everyone to know the truth. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you kind of feel for him. He was a hurting man. Mm-hmm. Well, after he was let go, that's when his ideologies became extremely radicalized. And <clears throat> and with TerraSave being like, nah, we ain't do- we ain't playing that game. Like you got real, real dirty real quick. He he was a man who was desperate, you know, and he had been accused of all these things. He's like, well, if I'm gonna I can see where he's coming from because if he's been accused of terrorist actions at this point, he's like, I'm radicalized. I've been accused of it already. Why not just do it? Yeah. So then he could show the world Mm -hmm. that they're not as innocent as they say they are. Exactly. Make them pay. So the next wonderful, absolutely wonderful and I say this with the heaviest amount of sarcasm I can, character Senator Ron Davis. Ron Davis. <laughs> I lo- Okay, I joked before about him looking like the Penguin, but he really does he look does. like the Penguin from Batman. And I love the fact that they made him look like a typical villain, long, you know, like just ugly, just ugly. <laughs> he was the ugly duckling. Yeah. So Ron Davis was a senator in the United States, and he approved of Will Pharma's human test subjects to find the vaccine for the T virus, which was another reason why all these protesters and everybody hated him. And he was on the committee that decided to bomb Raccoon City. So another reason why everybody hated him. Plus, just his personality alone is just atrocious. When that part comes up in the movie, the first thing I immediately thought of was, yeah, you were probably the first one to be like, can I push the button? Like, that's the kind of vibe I got off this guy. Oh, I'm sure, because he was very much a child. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that was that's basically all I'm going to cover on good old penguin senator penguin yep so i saved the real bad guy for last frederick downing his real name is unknown actually because this is his uh pseudo name or whatever mm-hmm. because of his former employment with umbrella i'm just gonna call him downing Even in his early years, I know it's not his name, but we don't know his real name. So Downing resided in Raccoon City, where he participated in the G-Virus project at Nest, which was uh, beneath Parkley Mountains. We've discussed this. So um, he became disillusioned with Umbrella and became obsessed with wealth that he could receive from dealing in the black market and, you know, stealing shit selling it so uh, he left the city with stolen G virus samples and the T virus strain before the city was bombed and 
Though he so wanted to engage with the black market, he realized that viral weapons would be unsuitable without a vaccine in which the buyers could treat people with that they don't want infected. So he soon gained employment with Will Pharma, where he eventually became the research division chief. His relationship with Senator Ron Davis helped guarantee Will Pharma would be awarded the contract with the U.S. government, which gave Fred the necessary tools to mass produce both the T-virus and a vaccine. So, more money in his pockets. So he established contact with a spy and General Miguel Grande, who wished to purchase the G-virus, the T-virus, the antivirus. And this set in motion Fred's master plan, where he would fake his death and destroy all the research data and samples at Will Farm. This is when he provided a sample of the T-virus to an Indian terrorist movement which started that outbreak. And then the vaccine was then used to stop the spread. But due to the classified nature of the project, photographs of the victims were assumed by the international press to be side effects of an unethical vaccine trial, driving protests against the company and ruining the reputation. So that's how that kind of stopped a little bit. So... Basically, he then used Curtis as his scapegoat, saying that Curtis was the one doing all of this, basically. And give, still giving him the ability to be a dick and sell off his shit. So, that, that's basically good old Fred. Who's still currently alive right now rotting in a prison. <laughs> I just love that his name is Frederick Downing because it sounds an awful lot like, uh, you know, another... It sounds an awful lot like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> you know, Robert Downey. Frederick Down. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. No. <laughs> anyway. Uh, lessons learned. Um, he's a dick and so is the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. He uh, just looks like the penguin. So to wrap this episode up, I actually have some uh, little uh, little little Easter eggs and things that I like to talk about. And Ariel already touched on uh, a few of these, actually. So the first one we got up is Claire's umbrella. You mentioned the umbrella she has when she goes out to try to defend herself. That's the only thing they give her, and it's a red and white umbrella. The best part about that scene, though, is... Claire actually notes the irony herself. Yep. She goes, oh, like she knows. She's like, mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> um, another little interesting thing is the soundtrack clip from Resident Evil 2 game is actually used in the theatrical trailer for this movie. So there's a sound soundtrack clip from RE2 that's actually used for the whole trailer. That's awesome. Yes. 
Um, another little t- little thing is uh, when Frederick Downing shuts the his office door, the sound of it closing is the exact same sound as the player closing doors in the earlier Resident Evil games. So we're talking like the PlayStation and PlayStation Two versions. That that sound is the exact same sound you heard when you closed doors. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So uh, a little interesting fact about this uh, is the Hollywood only contributed in this movie voice actors and live motion capture actors. Nothing else was contributed from Hollywood on the production of this movie. Why? This was all during the time where Capcom had swapped some of their contracts out. Originally, they had given... Whenever they sold the rights to do movies and stuff to other creators, they had said, you guys can no holds bars, do whatever you want. Well, that became problematic, especially since during this time, the live action movies were being made and things like that. So they were like, "Uh, uh, we're going to rescind that and we're actually going to change it to where. And we'll get into this much later on when we start talking about the live action movies and stuff. But they basically appointed their own individual to be in charge of anything to do with Resident Evil when it came to movies and that certain somebody that we'll name later had the right to go yay or nay. And that was it. That was like God's word. Nope. It's not happening. So because of that, a lot of stuff was actually done in house and Hollywood could only contribute voice actors and live motion actors. Hmm. But uh, another little interesting thing is in the Raccoon City flashback during this movie, uh, when Leon is talking to Claire and it shows Leon and Claire actually holding weapons, Leon is holding the VP-70 pistol and Claire is wielding an M-1100 shotgun, which Claire never actually could acquire in a Resident Evil 2 storyline. She could never get that shotgun. Um, Another little thing is Army Rangers appear in the film and several scenes. However, in the English version, they're referred to as Marines. And it actually caused a bit of confusion and a little bit of agitation from viewers when this first came out because they were wearing Army combat uniforms and not the Marpat uniforms that Marines were issued at the time of this movie's release or during the time of this movie's supposed timeline. So it actually caused a little bit of aggravation with some veterans and things. Wasn't enough to get people to boycott it, obviously, but it was enough to make Capcom and other people in the Resident Evil loop reevaluate and actually look at what they're going to do when it comes to military uniforms. I mean, that... that that detail is kind of important and mm-hmm. I understand why they would be upset yeah. about it. While we're on this topic though, I actually wanted to answer a question that always flies around, which is why does Hollywood always mess with these uniforms? And actually I got a little bit of behind the scenes answer to this when one of my friends actually was, my friend actually got a background part in World War Z. 
I asked him why the uniforms were always screwed up in Hollywood, and it's actually because the United States military will not allow any any Hollywood production to accurately depict a military uniform because they consider it a disrespect to the actual uniform. So something on every uniform in every movie is screwed up in some way. Hmm. So there's your interesting fact about that. <laughs> um, and the last one we have here is the original idea for when the plane crashes into the terminal was for one of the wings to actually disconnect from the plane and chop a zombie in half at the waist. Instead, what happens, though, is that zombie is just completely knocked out of view when the plane lands. So a little disappointed in that. I really would have liked a zombie getting cut in half. Yeah, that would have been actually pretty cool. (laughs) Um, The reason they changed this is completely unclear, but a lot of people are theorizing that they changed it to get a different rating because if they were to have chopped the zombie in half, there would have been a lot more gore in that one scene than there was realistically in the entire movie. Um, I thought it was still like a rated R movie. It is. Yes. And yeah, it's rated R. Yeah, it is. But the way the rating system works in other countries is a little different. I'm just saying that this is like, you know, based off of a horror game (laughs) where you'll see the insides of people. It's fine. Did you not see the woman's face that tried to get Angela? I mean, you're not wrong. I Listen, I said it was a theory. I didn't say it was right. Okay, that's the only theory I could find about why they potentially changed it. But I am going to keep digging. If I do find the answer, I'll uh, let everybody know. But those are my little interesting Easter egg slash behind the scenes takes on this movie. Interesting. <laughs> so with the interesting facts and Easter eggs out of the way. That brings us to the end of the episode. So real quick before we end, I do want to say the next episode that we're going to do is going to be just us discussing the movie. Mm -hmm. So this was more of a, let me give you the information on the movie, the characters, the plot and all this stuff. The next episode we are going to be doing is just us discussing the movie, what we Mm -hmm. liked, what we didn't like our own little ratings at the end. So just, you know, giving y'all a heads up of how we're going to do this. <laughs> well, with all that being said, I think it's time that we say goodbye and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye there. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.